Okay, I gotta know. From that first note, from that first note on that music, how many of you knew exactly what that song was? Did anyone know it from the very beginning? Donna recognized it. I know what you used to do on your Wednesday nights. So that was the theme song to what show? Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, there were some visual clues for you there also. That show ran uh, for three decades. You weren't alive for any of them. Uh, yeah, you were for a little bit. That show ran over the course of three decades. Uh, it was one of the first reality shows on TV. Uh, it was one of the first really interactive, truly interactive shows on television. Every episode had a, had a phone number. And if you knew something that would help solve that mystery, you could call in. And, and every, every episode at the beginning, the host would say, maybe you can help solve a mystery. Uh, and you know what? People did. Over 47% of all of the uh, felonies, of all of the, the crimes that, that that show reported on, got solved over the course of those three decades. 47%, nearly half of all of them, of the, of the fugitive cases, excuse me, were, were solved over the course of those three decades. In fact, they still continue to be solved. When they run that show in reruns, people still call in. They still want to respond to that. And I think that was part of the appeal of the show, because everyone had this thought that maybe I know the bad guy, maybe, maybe he's my neighbor, or maybe I grew up with him, maybe I've seen this guy around my town before, maybe I have some information that could help with this case. I might be able to help solve a mystery. There's something within us that loves a mystery, uh, but we loathe to have them unsolved. Uh, the point is that we want to figure it out. We want to solve the whodunit. We want to know uh, what's going on. We were, we're driven to solve the mystery. That's the kind of language that Paul is using here in Colossians 1 when he talks about the good news of Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul refers to, to the good news, to the gospel message. He says, this mystery was kept hidden from us for ages and generations, but it has now been revealed. And it's been revealed to us. It's been revealed to the church. It's been revealed to the called out. That's the phrase we've been using a lot in this series, called out. It's a definition. It is the literal definition of the word church. Church means the called out. We are called out from our world. We are called out from our society. We are called out from those around us. But called out doesn't mean much in and of itself unless we're called to something. And that's what Paul is telling us about in the passage we're looking at today in Colossians 1. What we're called to is a message, a message that was a mystery for ages and generations, but now through us, this message has been revealed. The mystery has been solved for our world. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29, and again, it's page 983 in those Bibles that you've got there in the pews in front of you. I have to tell you, I consider this passage to be one of the most important passages in the Bible. In fact, it was one of my first memory verses that I ever memorized. I learned this verse years ago. It's a little difficult to understand. I want to admit that up front. This passage is a little difficult to understand. There's some complicated language here. So we're going to kind of unpack it together. We're going to unpack it kind of piece by piece. But keep in mind, Paul is uncovering a mystery for the Colossians when he writes this. 
and and a mystery for us as well as we read this. The mystery is how God, in His purity, in His holiness, how God plans to unite with us for eternity. How will God welcome us into His home to spend eternity with us? How does He accomplish that? That's the mystery that's been revealed. Beginning in verse 29, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. For the sake of His body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known. Now the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And for this, I toil, struggling with all of His energy, that so powerfully works within me. Paul says this mystery was kept hidden for ages and generations, but it's now been revealed to us. And that mystery is salvation through Jesus Christ alone. Now some of you grew up in churches where you heard about that salvation. You heard about this mystery and it was called the gospel. Or some of you grew up in places where it was called getting saved. And some of you came to a point in your life where you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And all of those are good terms and we hear them all the time. But we have to make sure that we understand what they mean. That we have to make sure that those terms are clear. Because sometimes we make things a little muddy and we make things a little murky and confusing. I always strive to not do that. And so Paul puts it as plainly as possible. This is the good news. This is what was a mystery And he calls it very simply, Christ in you. And it's important that you hear that. Christ in you. That's the good news. It's important that you hear that, and it's important that that's what we convey to our world. Because if you ask the average person out there what religion is all about, you ask the average person out there, what is Christianity about? What is the message of the Bible about? They'll tell you something like, well... God is out there, and God is watching you, and He sees what you're doing, and He's not happy about it. You know, and God is watching you, and, and He is against you until you get your life straightened out, until you deal with some things that you've got to get over, until you start behaving yourself. God is against you. They think that's the message. God is against you until you get your life straightened, up, uh, straightened out, but until then, uh, He's, he's going to be against you. That's not the message. The message is Christ in you. Paul calls it the hope of glory. The hope of heaven. The hope of eternity in His presence. That hope is not you growing up and getting your act together. That hope is not you starting to to behave yourself. It's not you getting over your addictions and your pains and your faults and your hurts and your failings. Your hope is Christ in you. Christ in you. Christ who already loves you. Christ who already accepts you. Christ who offers forgiveness and eternity with Him. You and I and our friends, our our neighbors, we're we're already very aware of our failings. We're, We're very aware of where we've failed. We know that we've screwed up. 
The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I read that and I say, yep, that's me. All have sinned and, and fallen short of the glory of God. And if we leave it just with that, there's no hope. There's no future. There's no heaven. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And, and to be honest, we've, we've fallen way short of the glory of God. But that's not where the story ends. Romans 3.23 is followed by Romans 3.24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Through Jesus, through Christ in us, we go from falling short of God's glory to the hope of glory. He is our hope. And the thing is, no one saw that coming. Nobody, nobody saw that coming. It was a complete mystery. And, and in so many ways, it's still a mystery to the people around us. And maybe it's even still a mystery to you and me. And the only way they're going to know that this is what the good news is, is if we tell them. Paul's words here call us to take a close look at ourselves and, and, and ask, are we letting people know about Jesus? Are we really letting people know about Jesus? And if so, how are we doing that? I want you to remember, this was a mystery uh, for ages and generations. And, and the way that Paul uses that word, it's not the kind of mystery that you'll eventually figure out. You know, it's not that given enough evidence and given enough time, you would say, oh, well, it's, it's Colonel Mustard uh, in the conservatory with the lead pipe. You know, you, you, you get the evidence, you figure that all out. It's not like one day you would co suddenly come to the realization, uh, it's Jesus on the hill with the cross. You know, you never figure that out on your own. It had to be revealed to you. It had to be uncovered for you. The answer had to be shared with you. That's what, it, last week we looked at Matthew chapter 16. And in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds and he says, I say that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds to Peter and he says, you're blessed because this was not revealed to you by men, but this was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. Fa the Father in heaven has to unveil this. God has to reveal it to us. And you and I, once we accept that good news, once we accept Jesus as our Lord, we have the task of proclaiming it, of revealing it, of making Him known. Verse 28 says, Him we proclaim. We make Jesus known. We tell people the mystery. How do we do that? He says we warn, warning everyone and teaching everyone. Warning and teaching. Those are two very different words, two very real needs. We often overlook the warning part. <laughs> we, we overlook the part about warning people. Maybe we're uncomfortable warning people. Maybe we're afraid that we're going to sound nosy if we start warning people about the things that they're doing. Maybe we think it's none of our business if, you know, whatever they're doing, let them do what they want to do and I'll do what I want to do. That's none of my business what they're doing. But, but warning, the reality is warning is an important part uh, of what we do. People in our lives, people that we love, some of them have some very destructive behavior and they desperately need someone to come alongside them and say, this is putting you on a very dangerous path. You, I don't like where you're going, and I love you, and I, I want to help you with this. I love you, but what you're doing is not right. You're on a very dangerous path here. That's warning. The other half is teaching. 
And that's exactly what Jesus told us that we were going to be doing. In Matthew chapter 28, our final marching orders from Jesus, the Great Commission, Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them, same word, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The reality is I'm saved by Christ in me. Jesus loves me just the way I am. But He loves me too much to let me stay that way. He loves me just the way I am, but He loves me too much to let me stay that way. He expects me to grow. He expects me to change. He expects me to mature. And there should come a day when the things that today are sins that hold me back, there should come a day when those are the things I used to do. When they're no longer a part of who I am. If Christ in me is my hope of glory, then I need to grow and I need to act more and more like Christ. Paul says we proclaim Him. We proclaim Him. Now, now when you hear that, don't just listen that we, we're on the street corner shouting about Jesus. You know, we've got our little soapbox and you know, we're up front in front of a bunch of people and we're shouting and talking and going on and on about Jesus. That's not all there is to proclaiming. You, you proclaim Him in how you live. You proclaim Him in what you do in what you say. You proclaim Him in what you post, <laughs> in how you respond to the joys in life and the difficulties in life. You proclaim Him. How you react to the good things proclaims Him. How you react to the bad things in life proclaims Him. In verse 24, Paul said, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. That's some tough language, but what Paul is saying is, my sufferings proclaim Christ. Paul was in prison when he wrote this. He was going through some tough stuff, and he would be going through some more tough stuff before the end of his life. Everything that he had suffered, though, proclaimed his faith. Everything that he suffered proclaimed his trust in God. Don't think people aren't watching. They're watching you. They're listening to you. They're seeing the things that you're going through, the good stuff and the bad stuff, and they're listening. And they're saying to themselves, does this faith really matter to them? Does what they're saying sound like Jesus? Do their beliefs in Jesus seem to be helping them any? And would they help me? People are watching. People are listening. They need hope because glory seems about as far away as the moon. They need to see the promise in us that things could be better, that Christ in them would make things better. And this is where we need to pay attention to them. And what we need to see is that everyone we encounter, every person that we encounter has a deep need for Jesus and the potential for eternity with Him. Paul uses a, a word here. In fact, it's the Second time he's used it in this letter, and he uses it a lot. He uses it usually at the beginning of, of just about every letter. And it makes us a little bit uncomfortable. I don't know if you caught that word, but in, it's there in verse 26. He says, this mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Who are his saints? Do you think there's any saints here? Uh, could you point to one real quick for me? No? No one's going to point to a saint? Some of you are pointing to other people. You ought to be pointing to yourself. Now, we're not comfortable with this word because it sounds like something we aren't. 
But when I tell you that you're a saint, this is when you laugh and you say, I ain't no saint, right? If you knew me, and I do, you would know I ain't no saint. We're not comfortable with it because it sounds like something that we're not. But the definition of saint has nothing to do with what you've done. The definition of saint has everything to do with what God has done for you. If you go back in chapter 1 to verse 13, that's our key verse for this entire letter, by the way. Verse 13 of chapter 1 says, He, that is God, He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. He did that for you. And guess what? That made you a saint. That's what saints That's the truth about saints right there. It's not about you. It's about Christ in you. God has done this to you through Jesus' sacrifice. We have a hard time seeing that in ourselves. We have a hard time seeing that in other people too. We have a hard time seeing other people as saints and, and sometimes as potential saints. There are people that we know who, who need Jesus. They're struggling with sin. They're struggling with guilt. They're struggling with addictions. They're struggling with moral failure. And they feel trapped. They feel stuck. And they feel lost because they see no way out. And the reason they see no way out is because this is a mystery to them. It has been hidden from them, but it's been revealed to the saints. It's been revealed to us. It's been revealed to you. They desperately need us to tell them about Jesus. Look at verse 28. Him we proclaim, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Did you notice the word everyone is repeated three times? You think that might be important? You think that might be important? Do you think that might be important if it's repeated three times? We proclaim, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Some of your Bibles say that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. (laughs) That seems like a tall order, doesn't it? uh, Mature is hard enough for me, but perfect, that's way out of my, that's out of my league. I can't do perfect. The word also could be understood as complete that we may present everyone complete in Christ. You've got friends who have something missing from their lives. Something is missing from their lives, and they feel it. They feel it's missing, and you see that it's missing. And the things that they do and the attitudes that they have, the the ways that they react to the tough stuff in life and the good stuff in life even, how they handle disappointment, you see that something is missing. And, And you have a gift. You have a free gift that would complete them, that would fill that missing spot in their life. Christ in them, completing them, finally making them whole. From time to time, we encourage you, bring a friend. Bring a friend to church. Invite a friend to come to church. Invite someone you can't stand. That might even be a better option. Invite someone you can't stand to come to church. We'll fix them, you know, maybe. Invite a friend. Invite someone to come with you. Ask someone that you love to to come. And and very often, uh, we say no for them. Ah, they, They wouldn't want to do that. So we, we go ahead and we just say no for them. We're not going to ask. Uh, they, they wouldn't want to do that. That's not their kind of thing. They, they wouldn't want to come. Let me give you a statistic. 90% of people 
who don't go to church. That is 90% of people who are not here who don't come to church, who just don't go. 90% of people who don't go to church, if they were invited, they say they would go. 90%. That's 9 out of 10 people. 9 out of 10 of those people that you're saying no for already and saying, ah, they wouldn't want to do that. 9 out of 10 of them would say yes. They'd say, yeah, I'll come. I'll come for Easter. I'll come for this. I'll come for that. They're having a band on a, on a Sunday night. Yeah, I'll come watch that. You know, I'll come see that. The 9 out of 10 of them say they would come. 2%. 2% of all Christians actually invite somebody to come to church with them. Only 2% of all Christians say, yes, I, I invite people to come to church with them. What if, what if that was more than 2%? How many of these seats would be filled if it was more than 2%? How many of those 90% of your friends would, would be here if you invited them to come join us? Him we proclaim. Well, at least 2% of us are proclaiming Him. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That TV show, Unsolved Mysteries, uh, it wasn't just about murders and bank robbers and felonies, you know, they weren't just out catching bad guys on that show. Uh, there were a lot of shows that were about lost loves, you know, family members or friends or, or, or people who had gotten separated. You know, maybe, maybe somebody shipped off to the military and they never came back and they, they got lost, they got misplaced, and so they never came back and found their family members. There would be stories about children who got split up. When the family fell apart, the children got split up and some of them got adopted over here and some of them got adopted over there and, and they never saw each other. There were stories about guys who went out you know to get a carton of cigarettes or something and they got smacked in the head and they never made it back home and and families wondered whatever happened to him and over the course of those three decades that that show ran over 100 stories of lost loves over 100 of those people were reunited a hundred stories of of people who were who had lost one another who had lost family members or friends former boyfriends and girlfriends People said, I know that story. I, I've heard that story before. I know that person. I know that face. And, and over a hundred of them were reunited. The good news of Jesus Christ is a story of lost love. It's a story of, of lost love. That sin separated you from God. That there was this part of you that was incomplete. That was unfulfilled. And you were searching for something to make life better. Something that wouldn't, or someone that would make sense of it all. And the whole time, there's Jesus. Offering himself, offering hope, offering the, the hope of glory, the hope for eternity at peace with God, eternity with God, eternity together. Lost love. And I hope that's your story. Maybe, maybe you're not there yet, uh, but you are here. Maybe you're not there yet, but, but you are here, and, and you're interested. And you've at least stayed awake for a sermon, you know. You, you've listened to this, and, and you've found a place where you can belong, and that's great because we want to be a place where you can belong. But what's the next step? Where do you go from here? What can we do for you if you feel the need to take a next step. And so, we don't do this very often, 
Today we're going to do something just a little bit different. We're going to sing a song in, in just a moment. Um, but while we do that, some of our friends are going to open those two doors in the back of the auditorium. You guys can go ahead and do that if you need to. And uh, it'd be great to go ahead and do that. They're going to open up those, those doors in the back of the auditorium. And they're going to go, my office is unlocked. They're going to go hang out in my office uh, for a little bit. And if you need someone to talk to, if you need someone to, uh, to pray with you, if you need someone who can help you understand what's next in this relationship, where do you go next, um, we just want to invite you to go talk with them. Uh, I want to invite you to go over there and, and spend some time with them and pray with them and just, just talk with them. Um, we're going to stand together and, and pray, and then we're going to sing this song. And if you need to go talk with them, we invite you to do that. Let's, let's stand and pray first. Father, we are all too aware of who we aren't and what we don't have. Uh, we know there is nothing in ourselves that can save us, and, and any hope of heaven, if it's just our own doing, it is, it is a mystery, and, and we will never solve it on our own. And that's why we're thankful that it's not about us. It's not about what we can do. It's about Christ in us. That is our hope for eternity with you and eternity together. And I thank you uh, that those here, there are those here who have found that hope through you. And for those who are still searching, I pray they find a safe place here where they can belong and where they can be loved. And we want to encourage them and to bless them and show them the kind of love and forgiveness that you've shown us. That together, we might be the church that you've called us out to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.